You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. I'm not usually disabled, um, but I managed to hurt my ankle on Thursday evening. And so it seems appropriate to be speaking on disability at the point where I've temporarily disabled myself. But there we go. Um, So as Joe says, my name is Rich. Uh, I am currently the CEO of the Life Project Bath. I realise I should have a slide that has all the details, but you can find Google Life Project Bath. Other service uh, search engines are available and so on and so forth. Um, And I might mention them as I go along. I realise that this will be available afterwards, so people that are on my trustee board will be like, you didn't mention the Life Project. Look up the Life Project. I'm not really talking about the Life Project much because uh, I'm talking about um, disability theology. Um, And I don't know if you've ever read the book The Twit by Roald Dahl. I always find it's a good place to start when I'm preaching in a church. Um, There's a great quote And it says, you can have a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and a double chin and stick out teeth. But if you have good thoughts, it will shine out of your face like sunbeams and you will always look lovely. I completed a master's a few years ago and my dissertation was looking at what is the face of the UK church for people or adults with disabilities or disabled adults? Uh, You can argue about what term is appropriate, different Uh, People will prefer adults with disabilities or disabled adults. I use them interchangeably, so apologies if I offend you with the language I use. It's not intentional. Um, That's just some of the debate. But my question was, what is the face of the church for people with disabilities? Uh, Because I've worked with people with disabilities in the past. I've worked with young people with disabilities. I worked in a children's hospice. I've worked with young offenders. Uh, looking and identifying hidden needs and things like autism and ADHD. And as I became a church pastor, I went, well, there's loads of disabled people. I sat once in a church at the back and realised that in every row as I looked forward, someone was using a hearing aid. And yet we don't really talk about disability. And uh, the church has a multitude of faces as I'm sure many of you will be aware, Oasis Bath is certainly a different face of the church than Bath Abbey. They just look different, even if you look at the building. And then if you come inside, they're different. And as you get to know the people, it's different. And one quote uh, that I used through my dissertation, and Joe kindly said, "Could I have? you can have 20 minutes to do your entire dissertation. And I thought, great. But the quote that kind of went throughout, it it was the backbone to what I was looking at. It was a quote from uh, Ben Lindsay. And he was talking about race when he he quoted it. Um, But it can be used in so many different settings. And it says, accessibility is being able to get in the building. Now, I struggled a little bit this morning because I came in at the bottom and had to come up the steps. But it was all right, and I now know to go out that way because it will be slightly easier. Diversity is getting invited to the table. Inclusion is having a voice at the table, and belonging is having your voice heard at the table. 
I would argue that traditionally, churches have had a theology that has certainly not been about belonging, probably not been about inclusion. It might have included some diversity, and we've struggled with accessibility. Before I go into the theology side of things, I probably need to give you a bit of disability background uh, and give you some models of disability. And, and what I want you to be considering throughout this is what is the face of Oasis Church to disabled adults, disabled children? What about caregivers? Because it's really easy to go, the church, but I always want to bring it home to where we are. What's my face to people with disabilities? So over the past kind of 60 years or so, there have been some huge shifts in the understanding of disability in society as a whole. We've got a fairly traditional model that was the, known as the medical model, which is basically the person has a problem or an impairment of some sort, and we will look for a solution, and they, the problem needs to be resolved. We want them to be healed, we want, or we'll give them a piece of equipment, or whatever it might be. They have the problem, it needs to be fixed. That's the model that the church has kind of traditionally used. More on that. Then there's the social model, which says, actually, there's a problem with society. It is society that disables people. If you have a step rather than a slope, just because somebody has mobility needs, you've, they weren't disabled until they arrived at the step. And you can take that into all spheres of life. There are many other models. I'm not going to cover the detail of those like I did in my dissertation. You'll be pleased to know because we'd be here for quite some time. If you want further training, more than happy to go into the detail. But the one I want to highlight is the biopsychosocial model because that's the kind of more holistic approach that says we can have a bit of the medical model. People do have impairments or disabilities. Their ability is limited because of something that, that is going on for them. And that is true. You know, I needed, when I was temporarily disabled on Thursday evening, I need some medical assistance. And I've got crutches and I've got a splint on my foot and that is helping me out. But there's also various things in society that are disabling me. There's steps, for example. It's much easier when there's not steps. No, no, I'm all right. I'm good standing at the moment. I've been sitting a lot over the last couple of days, but thank you very much. If I collapse, <laughs> then you can, you can worry then. And so the biopsychosocial uh, bio model kind of brings together all of those elements. The one part it misses, though, I would argue, is the spiritual side of disability. And given that we're talking theology, then probably the spiritual side is important. But traditional theologies pair disability with sin, a lack of faith, or the demonic. One theology articulates disability as a consequence of sin in the life of the disabled person or an ancestor. As such, disability is a punishment from God. I don't believe that. 
Alternatively, disability is considered as a result of demonic activity, which can only be overcome through exorcism. I don't believe that. Disability is considered to be a sign of a lack of faith, inhibiting God from performing a healing miracle. I don't believe that either. Such interpretations have led to oppression of people with disabilities in churches. And such views compare with the medical model of disability. There is something wrong and a cure must be sought. There is another model, which is the, for technical term, biopsychosocial spiritual model of disability, which I realise I should probably have up on the screen for people to, you know, with a definition or something like that. I don't want to go into all the details. It basically includes the spiritual element. And that's been used in some places in psychiatry curriculums. It's been considered in palliative care and treatments for long-term health conditions, but it's not really been considered for disability. And I think one factor for this lack of spiritual dimension could be the reluctance of the church and other religious bodies to recognize and repent of unhelpful teaching and treatment of scriptures and therefore to learn from and follow social trends. If we look at the New Testament as a whole, we get a sense of attitudes to disabled people that are not dissimilar of those to today. There's hostility. There is an incoherent response. The, subject, the subjugation and ostracism experienced by people with disabilities is, I believe, a consequence of how disability passages are often interpreted. But if you look at the New Testament, you can look throughout Scripture, but I'm sticking with the New Testament mostly. Actually, it's quite unusual in ancient texts that the physically ill, the disabled, the disturbed and excluded are actually involved quite a lot. Jesus spends an awful lot of time with them. Jesus shatters the prohibitions relating to purity. And yet, despite this, the traditional understanding of Jesus' healing of people with different ailments and infirmities is that Jesus provided freedom from disability rather than restoration into the community. The traditional interpretation of the Bible in regards to Jesus' healing maintains the view of disability as a weakness and the person with the disability as inferior, unclean or sinful and consequently excluded from the life of the church. The light of God shining in Jesus is transmitted through the witness of the Bible and it's mediated, or it should be, through the witness of the church. And when people with disabilities are prevented from encountering Jesus because the Bible is the word of God, can be an obstacle for some, and traditional interpretations of key passages exclude people with disabilities from the witness of the church, purely because you can't get to the church. There's a wonderful passage in Psalm 139 that says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, that talks about how God knew us before we were born. 
talks about us, if we go back to Genesis 1, being made in the image of God. And often the fall is used as an excuse to say, oh, people with disabilities, there's something wrong. They're not quite made in the image of God and therefore they need healing. I'd like to play a short video that is some of my friends at the Life Project doing their interpretation of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You have searched me, Lord. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. And you know me. You know me. And you know me. And you know me. You know when I sit. And when I rise. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. For you created my inmost being. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, O oh Lord. I praise you. I praise you. Praise you. I praise you. I praise you. Praise the Lord. I praise you. Praise you. I defy you to tell me they are not made in the image of God. They are some of the beautiful people that I get to work with. I consider them a gift. But so often the church has said there's something wrong and they need healing. See, there's this misconception about Genesis 1 that God said everything he'd made was perfect. He didn't. He said it was good. To say the world was created by God is Good is not to say that it is perfect. If all creatures are finite, limited and vulnerable, and if challenge, risk and growth are part of creaturely existence as intended by God, then there is no reason to suppose that all forms of suffering are inherently evil. When we come to Christian theology, the personal work of Jesus is essential. Jesus himself said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Locating healing as a principal component of Jesus' ministry, the traditional conflation of sin and disability has already been challenged. 
today. The accounts of Jesus provide perhaps the most useful and compelling evidence for the disconnecting of the two. John 9 tells the story of Jesus healing a man born blind in accordance with the prevalent understanding of sin as a cause of disability. Jesus' disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus confronts the discriminatory view, replying, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Jesus goes on to provide the radically countercultural position that God's works might be revealed in him. For people with disabilities, there are two important features of Jesus' message. Firstly, sin and disability are disassociated. Disability is not regarded as evidence of a sinful life. Secondly, God chooses to be revealed through persons with disability. Knowledge and understanding of God is found through his self-revelation in creation. Jesus' declaration of God's revelation through a man with disability is the antithesis of prevailing notions of perfection being the only means of God's revelation. For the man who receives sight upon his encounter with Jesus, it is the transition from spiritual darkness to light, recognising Jesus as Lord and worshipping him, rather than physical healing that makes him a disciple. In contrast, in the same passage, the sighted Pharisees were incapable of, or unwilling to, make this transition. I could talk about the story of Zacchaeus being a very little man. A very little man was he. He needed some equipment, some assistance to be able to see Jesus. And he certainly, when Jesus engaged with him, we've got no idea in the story that Jesus suddenly made him taller before he could be a disciple. Like a sudden growth spurt that he went from being small to a six foot tall, I don't know, hunk of a man. The Ethiopian eunuch that's described in Acts 26 to 40, he's still a eunuch after he comes to faith in Christ and is baptised. The good news for people with disability is that it reflects their inclusion amongst the people of God just as they are. Jesus' ministry offers both healing but also welcome into the community and restoration into the community. It's recorded in the accounts of the crucifixion that Jesus was blindfolded, Mark 14 and Luke 22, symbolising one aspect of the disabling nature of Jesus' death. Through the journey to the cross, Jesus is transformed from healer of those with disabilities to one who is disabled. He cannot see, and related to that is a temporary cognitive impairment. He does not know who it is that has hit him. And Jesus' disability was not limited to physiological and social features, but also the psychological. Hanging on the cross, he cried out in pain at the feeling of being forsaken, something felt by those suffering with depression and other mental health needs, as well as often by those who find themselves excluded and isolated because of disability. And then beyond the cross, Jesus' resurrected body maintains the scars of disability. 
One of the ways in which Jesus is identified following his resurrection is not an unblemished perfection, but through his scars. In showing how he suffered, Jesus offers solidarity with all those who remain disabled. Jesus' scars offered hope to those with disabilities, and their unconventional bodies partake entirely in being made in the image of God. In Colossians 1.18, Jesus is described as the head of the body, the church. The church can be described as the real beginning of God's new and inclusive community. Yet he acknowledges that there are flaws. Therefore, one might say that the church is disabled. Regarding the New Testament church... Migliori writes that it was distinguishable due to mutuality, interdependence, forgiveness, and friendship. The church came together and they had responsibilities shared. And there is always special concern for the poor, the weak, and the despised. The New Testament portrays a church in contention with otherwise segregated society. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, and slaves and masters. They come together to form the church united in Christ. I remind you of the quote. Accessibility has been able to get in the building. Diversity is getting invited to the table. Inclusion is having a voice at the table. And belonging is having your voice heard at the table. This picture of a diverse and caring community can be found throughout Scripture. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Israel's holy identity was exhibited not only in maintaining purity, but also in the treatment of other people. A community such as this should be one of the objectives of the church, and yet for many people with disabilities, the contemporary experience is one of exclusion as a way of life. It's easy to document the exclusion from access to the sacraments for people with both developmental and physical disabilities. With the emergence of disability theology and a growing body of work that redresses the traditional biblical interpretation of disability, so as to favor and welcome those with impairments, equality as made in God's image, one might expect positive change within the church. We should be moving from the reluctance of the late 90s and turn of the century when the laws changed in this country to say buildings, public buildings, including churches, should make reasonable adjustments, when at that time the response of church leaders was overwhelmingly not, how could we lead in God's mission in accessibility, inclusion and belonging, but... What's the minimum we have to do? Because it sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money. And today, there are examples where too often contemporary church plants and church growth strategies overlook the most vulnerable. There is what you might call a success syndrome. The focus on numbers and sides leading 
to the fading away of the age, the poor, and the disenfranchised. And because they are not seen to offer productivity for the church, for church growth, those with disabilities are discarded as non-essential. In its current state, the contemporary Western church often fails to challenge its own neglect of the most vulnerable through exclusion, unintentional or deliberate, and lack of access to the participation in the sharing of the sacraments, the church participates in spiritual birth control and euthanasia. If, if to be made in the image of God includes disability and the resurrected, Jesus bears the scars of disability, the church falls short of the glory of God, lacking some aspects of God's image. When we fail to incorporate persons with disability, the yearning for healing is not merely about the cure of an individual but for the whole church. Just as in baptism, when a person is baptized into the body of Christ and welcomed by his church by public affirmation, so the prayer for healing is an opportunity for such affirmation and drawing into the love and acceptance of the church. A church with a Christocentric, biopsychosocial, spiritual theology. Hope you got that one considers as one the individual and the community. Each member has God-given limitations biologically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually, and yet all are united in Christ. The Holy Spirit inspires unity in Christ and brings forth healing to the whole church, which bears the scars of disability and offers witness to the revelation of God the Father. As Gill states, the church is disabled, not able to do what we might expect of it, and disability is its glory. The dawning of fresh models of disability provide a platform from which the church is able to look afresh at scripture, to continue to the search for the fullness of truth made known in Christ. The biblical narrative makes space for the provision of people with disabilities. The good creation and imagio dei can be seen in those with disabilities and is even celebrated in Jesus' resurrected body. The church has the potential to glorify and witness to the revelation of Jesus and does so most effectively when those with disabilities are enabled to reach their place at the table and to share in communion. When the church recognizes that it is itself disabled, the disabled body of Christ. The conjoining of different models of disability and theology into a biopsychosocial spiritual theology of disability accepts the complex nature of disability and the need for holistic approach to addressing the needs of individuals and the church community. Such an approach offers an authentic witness of Christ. If accessibility is being able to get into the building, and diversity is getting invited to the table. And inclusion is having a voice at the table. And belonging is having your voice heard at the table. What do disabled people experience of the community of God when they engage with Oasis Church Bath? What 
is the face of God's church to people with disabilities. I will leave that for you to reflect and to pray upon. Thank you. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.